Good evening, everyone. I am Nayaswami Asha, and it's my great pleasure to be speaking to you from California with the third of a four-part series on the chakras, Understanding Everything. Um, we have uh, been building a, a basic understanding of the nature of the chakras today. I really want to go uh, from the earth chakra to the spiritual eye and really talk about the characteristics of each chakra what they, how they manifest in your life, how we think about them in terms of true spiritual principles. Um, we have to accept in this class that I'm only touching the surface. This discussion can just go on and on. Um, next week, probably, I mean next week, if I don't cover it this week, I will definitely talk about um, how you decide which chakra to work with and then how to work with them. Because this information that I'm giving you helps you to understand what the flow of energy is in your chakras, but ultimately what we're trying to do here is we're trying to harmonize and direct and use our understanding of the chakras to work out our karma, um, to live appropriately, to influence our experience of life in the direction that we want it to go. Um, so be patient and don't forget to send in your questions either during the course of this class or in between the classes through online in uh, India. Um, in one of our earlier sessions, I was explaining how each of the chakras, uh, one of Master's ways of describing them is earth, um, water, fire, air, ether, and then super-ether. And these are, uh, well, everything about the chakras is symbolic and multidimensional. And last week I started a little bit with the earth chakra to be talking about uh, what the qualities of that chakra are. And I want to spend, I'm going to start again at that point because I want to run through all five, six of them in order to um, have us have a really solid foundation. Um, what earth, air, fire, water, and ether represent is they represent a progressive expansion into a, a higher and a freer form of reality. But as I was saying last week, what they also represent is they represent all the qualities that make up a balanced human being, and especially um, a solidly functioning um, good devotee. And the earth chakra, it being uh, the first chakra, but also it's the foundation element. You know, people often talk about the necessity to be grounded, the um, uh, there's even a, a practice which is slightly unrelated to this, which is to walk around barefoot, barefoot on the bare earth because you want to be in contact with the forces of the earth. It's called earthing, and I don't know if the fad has reached um, India or not. Uh, but in uh, the more and more modernized our society becomes or uh, built up our society becomes, the less we actually are in contact with natural forces. There was a period of time this was many years ago when I lived at Ananda village. Now I live in Palo Alto and have for more than 25 years. But I lived at Ananda village in a very natural, rural setting, a very undeveloped piece of land. I lived in a very small trailer, no electricity, no running water. Just a moment, we're experiencing a brief technical difficulty. I have, have disappeared from the screen. <laughs> I was saying when I was living at Ananda Village, I actually practiced that for a while without even knowing it had a name. Every uh, morning, 
I would go and make a, a brief circuit of the area where I lived in my bare feet, whether it was raining or snowing or hot weather or what it was, just to get the, that feeling of groundedness and uh, all, the, um, all the stimulation that comes from that. Amazing, considering how, for how many centuries, people, especially children, just ran around in their bare feet on the bare earth. It was just the way we lived. Now we're um, so far removed from that, from that it's, uh, it's concerning, actually. But these are necessary stages in the development of the planet. Uh, I was discussing with a friend of mine just yesterday the difference between setting our reality in the duality or setting our reality in the singularity of spirit. As long as you're in the duality, there's always going to be another side to it, and it's always going to be shifting. And we're going to try to get it set in a certain way, but then sooner or later it's going to be changed. I mean, the advantage of living out in the natural world is counterbalanced by the, the stullifying hard work of it. I mean, the fantastic advantage of the advent of technology is the, the ease and the comfort of life where everything is not on such an intense physical level where we have more um, freedom for creativity, for intellectual pursuits, and so on like that. You know, just one ways against the other ways against the other ways against the other. And I was realizing, talking to my friend, um, that my consciousness, my intention in life, because it's not always my consciousness, is, is I don't live in the duality of not the modern world, the other world, my childhood, my present life, the liberal or conservative politics, all of these dualities. But the goal of the devotee is to live at the core where the dualities originate from, and then whatever where, whichever way the duality is flowing, there is a, a, a security and the sameness to always being in the one. From that point you can see. You can ride whatever waves need to ride, but your reality is not the waves. And this is the frustration of people who attempt to make a perfect world by making the world perfect instead of making a perfect world by making yourself perfect. So back to uh, the principles of the earth, which is in fact exactly what we're talking about, which is the, the first necessity for right living is to have the earth chakra aligned properly. And there, there are two aspects to this. One is um, the, the human qualities, the attitudes and the understandings that the earth chakra represent. When you think about earth, what we're talking about is physically manifested things, and there's a separateness to them. Even though scientifically we can talk about the fact that these are both energy and that, in fact, they're just energy vibrating at different rates, our experience is that things are fixed. And you hold this in your right hand or you hold this in your right hand, and you can't just sort of mush it. Okay. Now, one of the things that we have to realize to have the earth element be really solid in our life is that we have to make commitments. We have to make choices. Even if we know that it's all one, you know, in the end, and all paths are the same. As a master said, all paths may lead to the same place, but at a certain point you have to walk along one of them. He used to give the image that if you wanted to drive across the United States of America from Los Angeles to New York City, 
He said you could get in a Ford automobile in Los Angeles and start driving across the country, but if halfway across you decide that you really want a Cadillac instead, you go back to Los Angeles and you change into a Cadillac, and then you get a third of the way across, and then you realize that no, what you really want is a Toyota, and you go back to Los Angeles and you get a Toyota. He said eventually you could walk across the United States faster than you could if you keep going back and forth. And so, spiritually speaking, and in many other ways of life, but let's talk spiritually, sooner or later the earth element has to come into play. And we have to say, we have to become determined and focused and fixed on a reality. I'm not saying, now I want to say something before I go further, all the chakras all work together at the same time. It's not like you finish the earth, then you finish the water, then you finish the fire, not at all. You're, you're looking at, at something, uh, a force that every, every piece of it has to be in balance. And if it gets out of balance this way, you have to fix it this way. You can't cut it apart because it's not all earth like that. But uh, I said last week too, and this is important, Master said loyalty is the first law of God, which is when you make a commitment, you have to keep it. I was talking to a friend of mine, and another friend, a young friend. <laughs> That's a funny phrase. Swami Kriyananda's mother, who was at least 60 or 70 by the time I met her, um, used to use the phrase young friend. And it just struck me that, you know, I was her young friend at that time, and now other people are my young friend. Well, there you have it. It all rolls along like that. So I was talking to a young friend in her 20s, and uh, she's endeavoring at this point in her life to develop the qualities of the earth. And I myself also had to work hard to develop the qualities of the earth. Water and air were easier for me. I was very good at flowing. I was very good at expanding. I wasn't so good at fire, and I was really bad at earth. I just, I, I was always wanting to go somewhere else. I, I, rarely, I rarely wanted to stick with it. And when I began to see what a lack that was in my nature, it's interesting because it was slightly masked. The weakness was masked by my skill at the water and the air element. I was naturally very generous and very, uh, I, I loved adventures and people and I could take things in. I was naturally very creative so I could always adjust in a moment like water to a new reality. But I wasn't so good at the earth, which is, I remember distinctly. Uh, I was supposed to, I had a job and I was supposed to be there at like nine every morning and one morning I set out from my home in plenty of time to get there, but things kept happening along the way, and I actually walked in at four in the afternoon. And the woman that I worked with, it was not only my boss, but my best friend, and it was very, she, she was a woman of few words, but she got her point across. She just looked at me and she said, at four in the afternoon, good morning, just like that. But somehow it, it really got my attention. And I realized, among other things, I didn't keep my word, People could not rely on me. I would take responsibility and not follow through on it. And it became, I realized, and this is the beginning to talk to you about you know, how you work with this, that I had to learn to commit myself, and then it was actually the fire that was related to it, have the fiery self-control to be able to hold to that commitment. And my friend, her name is Seva, she was a, a, a godsend in my life. She was really my my dearest mentor 
as well as my dearest friend, for the first 12 years I was on the path. She was very solid. She, had, she was superb at the earth element. She would just set her mind to things and nothing would change her. And uh, so I, I apprenticed myself to her and whatever I told her I would do, I would do. At that time, Ananda was extremely undeveloped and we didn't have any laundry facilities on our own land. We had running, we had water, but we didn't have laundry. And, you know, bucket washing was not attractive. So once a week or so, we would take our loads of laundry into town. I don't know if this is a phenomenon in other countries, but in America, we have these laundromats, lots of washing machines and dryers, and you put coins in them and they'll wash your clothes for you. So we would have to go to the laundromat to do our laundry. As you can see, it would be a, it's not a very glamorous or very uplifting task. It's just something that has to be done. But I, I said to myself and sometimes to others jokingly, if Seva and I have made a date to go into town and do our laundry, and I hear that Babaji is going to give a satsang in the temple, I would still go to town and do my laundry. Because for me, the most important thing was to be solid and committed, loyal to my word, loyal to my friends, above all, loyal to my spiritual path. Now, of course, Babaji transcends the laundry. I'm only joking. But not really. I was trying to explain to myself that unless my spiritual path became grounded first in, in a teaching I deeply believed in, which was no problem for me, but that's, that's a problem for some people, what path am I really going to follow? That's why loyalty is the first law of God, as Yogananda says. All paths will take you there, but you can't travel all of them at the same time. At a certain point, you have to decide. And last week, I was also talking about the earth chakra is also security. Now, see, these are qualities that everyone seeks and everyone needs. We all seek to be secure. But the question is, from what source do we draw our security? And the earth chakra, rightly expressed, grounds us in the security of divine truth and in the confidence of our own commitment to that truth. You see, a great deal of the spiritual path is really not about what you believe in, but it's how much you can rely upon yourself to follow what you know is true. Now, every chakra also has its negative side. The negative side of the earth is, I mean, well, several sides of it, but one of them is, is instead of having loyalty in the right way. Now, this is partly how the other chakras all play together, how water and fire and air play together. But instead of having loyalty to truth, we have loyalty to whatever it is I happen to think. And we just become stubbornly fixed on our own ideas. And we know people like this who are just not open to anything. And they may have plenty of earth, but in fact, what they lack then, you see, is water because water is what makes us adaptable. So the earth element, too exaggerated, makes us draw our security from the fixity of our purpose, but what we are loyal to is narrow, not expansive, or else our loyalty um, is fanatical because it's not balanced enough by uh, water and air. So that's I'm, I'm offering these because you know one of the points that we're trying to find here is how do you use these chakras how do you use the concept of the chakras to understand what uh, a self-improvement you know where we're strong where we we're weak what we need to work with and next week especially I'll tell you once we 
begin to understand what each of the chakras are like. I'll tell us how, you know, certain affirmations and things that we can do to sort of uh, balance out what we need to balance out. So as I was saying, I myself, without entirely understanding the vocabulary in the first years of my spiritual life, I sensed that an aspect of the earth chakra for me was missing. No one is a perfect this or a perfect that. We're all sort of, everything's happening at the same time. Loyalty to my chosen path, I had terrifically. I wasn't inclined to be fickle in a spiritual way. I didn't have doubts. I really wanted to practice this path. But where the earth chakra was lacking in me was in my own, my own uh, personality, you might say, my own way of expressing in the world. There was, there was just a lack of that um, solid, reliable force. Um, the earth element, you know, is, is rock-like. I remember uh, there's a, a river near Ananda village where, where I used to live, the rural area, the Yuba River, and it's a, it's a river that flows in a canyon. And some of the canyon is made of granite rock. And whenever I wanted to think about the earth elements stretched out on those rocks, especially in the sun, especially in the summer, and you can just feel well, the rock-like solidity, and realize that that's the kind of power that we need to have within us. We need to have that rock-like solidity where when I feel that this is the right thing to do, nothing can move me. Swami Kriyananda was, well, he was perfect in all aspects, but he had this, that the quality of the earth so well-developed and balanced with the other chakras, but he never had to, he never had to um, prove to others his loyalty or prove to others his commitment. But it was just there. He even jokingly said, you know, when he feels that something is right, nobody can move him. He won't argue, but nor will he shift. I remember one small incident. Um, he was following a certain uh, health protocol, and it involved juices in, of a certain type, fresh-made juices. I slightly disagreed with a part of the protocol, and I felt there was a certain flexibility involved in it that um, I thought improved it. And for some reason I just decided to posit my opinion against his and that of the health practitioner who was guiding him. You know, in retrospect, you have to ask, what on earth was I thinking? Well, that was the earth gone crazy. You know, too loyal, too stubborn to my own ideas, not being willing to adapt. But uh, Swami told me how he wanted the juice made. I told him that I thought it could be done this way and that would be just as good. He reminded me that he was following a protocol and he wanted to follow it. I disregarded him and made it the way I thought it should be made. And he never said another word about it, but I brought the juice out and I set it down. He looked at it like that. He went back to what he was doing. He never touched it or looked at it again. Just perfect. You know, and I was, I was mortified, of course. It was just a terrible moment for me. But there it was. You know, this, he was loyal to what he had decided to do, and I wanted him to be different. And he didn't feel any necessity to hammer me over the head with the granite rock of his commitment. He just wasn't going to change. He wasn't going to argue, but he wasn't going to change. And that's quite admirable in a certain sense. I mean, more than in a certain sense. But that's the power that we have to have on the spiritual path. I know what I am doing, I know why I am doing it, and I will just quietly but with firm determination, go forward. Now, the problem with earth element alone is 
that everything in life is always in flux. And that's the difficulty that we face. We can't just set our path and stay to it. You know, among other things, age and time begins to affect us. I'm uh, of an age now where my body is beginning to um, not just simply not be able to do what it used to be able to do. And if I continue to think of myself as a person who does certain things, I just can't. I used to be able to lift and carry, and I had very strong hands, I had strong arms, I could do all these things. Now I get a little tiny drawer, would you open this for me? And I'm not kidding, I just don't have it anymore. So I have to be able, the loyalty can't be um, to something that's ephemeral. See, this is what I was trying to say also. You can't, uh, uh, you have to be loyal to divine truth. You can't just be loyal to who I am. I'm always, I find it so poignant when you see people who are, are loyal to youth and maybe to the, the being a beautiful woman or a handsome man or, and you see an a- aging Romeo is the phrase we use in America where someone who uh, still thinks he's a handsome to young girls and he's not. He's an older man at this point and he doesn't remember that. His loyalty is to a self-image. So then comes the second chakra, which is the water chakra. And the remarkable thing about water, you see, is, well, I was going to use the word fluid, how fluid and adaptable it is. Right now, I have water in this cup, and it's the shape of a cup. Isn't that remarkable? It's still water, and when I drink it, it still tastes like water. But when I look at it, it actually looks like the cup. And if I took this water and I poured it out on the rug, which I won't do, but I could. I'm not doing it because the camera can't see it. Otherwise, I would so you could see it. But imagine, I pour it out on the rug, and all of a sudden, wow, look at that. The water looks like rug. But it would still be water. If I squeezed it out of the rug and looked at it, it would still be water. It would not have changed its essential nature. But water has this capacity to adapt to whatever, without losing itself. You see, it has the earth element. It knows who it is, but it's able to just move and go wherever it needs to go and engage in those surroundings to the extent that it even can sort of look like them a little bit. But it, it never loses itself. Just think about rivers. If you follow a river, which I've never done this, but I've seen the same river at different places, the Ganges in India, I've never been all the way to the source of the Ganges, but one remarkable year when we were visiting India, for, for some 20 years, my husband and two of our friends led pilgrimage journeys to India. We did it about 12 times. And we went to the places that were um, related to autobiography of a yogi, for the most part, and uh, plus Rishikesh and Hardwar and... Uh, I'm sort of lost all of a sudden in all those memories. They all come flooding back. But the, the point of this one was, once when we were up in Rishikesh, they had these raft trips down the Ganges. And that particular year, I've never heard it duplicated. The Ganges, the, the snows must have been very high and the spring must have been very sudden because the Ganges was wild. And we, we thought we were going to be taking this peaceful float, and we were, we were in a struggle for our lives. People who really knew about these things 
uh, knew that we were in a very dangerous situation, but with God's grace, we just went through all these rapids, and it was the boat. We were soaking wet and cold, and we were on the river much longer than uh, we were supposed to be. By the time we got down to Rishikesh, it was dark, and our tour guide thought we might have drowned. It was just an amazing experience. That was the Ganges, you know, just huge and furious. And then, you know, we went down to Varanasi, and of course the river flows very swiftly there, but very different. But it's the same river. It's literally the same water bubbles. But they're moving, and they're shifting, and they're adjusting. And water has that capacity. The second chakra is the chakra of intuition and creativity. It's also associated with sexuality, but sexuality is just a a part of that. The intuition and the creativity are really the the foundation qualities for the discussion that we're having. Uh, uh, the character, uh, the character qualities that are relevant. And so, what creativity and intuition allow you to do is they allow you to take what you know and to figure out how to use it um, in this unique moment. Because if you have too much of the earth. Wherever you are, you always have to be exactly the same because this is who I am. I was referencing traveling to India, which by now in my life I've done quite a few times. And India has the culture of India, the the way India functions and looks is becoming, well, the whole globe is becoming more and more amalgamated. But nonetheless, there's still cultural differences. And there were, especially at the beginning when we started going some 30 years ago. And You know, travel is a very interesting test of earth and water. Because if you go and this is what you wear and this is what you think and this is how English is supposed to be spoken or this is the language that you speak and um, this is the food that you eat and this is the way people relate to each other, you're sort of someplace where nobody knows that. I was sitting at lunch, this was just last September, in... uh, Delhi or Mumbai, with Indian friends. And something was happening in American politics. I don't follow it closely. And one of our Indian friends just kind of casually like that went, Oh, you Americans, you're always going to war, he said just like that. And it was like, I, I sat back for a moment. My feelings weren't hurt, and I certainly wasn't insulted. I thought for a moment, and I said, He's absolutely right. We are always going to war. And it was so amazing just to have it be viewed so casually from the other side that this is all arbitrary. What am I loyal to? Am I loyal to the fact that I'm an American? Or am I loyal to the principles? Um, There are many fine principles on which America is based, and I am loyal to those. Equality, freedom, individuality, those those are divine qualities which America has some capacity to express. But I'm not an American. That's so ephemeral. Why would I be loyal to that? I'm an American when I'm here. When I came back from India uh, this year, uh, 2014, after eight weeks, um, I was so settled into India that I couldn't even imagine being anywhere else. But as soon as I landed in California, oh yeah, California. I really like California. This is a great place. It has fabulous energy and great things happen here. Water. You know, just the water element. This is where I am now. So now this is my reality. A friend of mine, uh, for many years, just traveled, was a traveling teacher for a different ashram, not for our path. And she literally did not live anywhere. 
She had no home. Her home was one suitcase like this. She was a sannyasi, and she really enjoyed it. But I asked her, I said, how do you, how do, you do this? And she said, wherever I am, she replied, she said, even if I'm in a taxi cab for just a few minutes, I just tell myself, this is where I am, this is where I live, and this is where I've always lived, and this is where I will always live. And just completely settle into it. It takes the creativity and the flexibility of water, but then she adds to that the, the power and the strength of earth. And you see how the two of them can work together so well. Uh, as I was saying when I traveled in India the last time, most recently, which was just a few weeks ago, I, I, I really practiced on, on the deepest level that I could, just allowing myself, like a puddle of water, to just spread out into the world that I was in. And just not be afraid of it, not hold myself back, not felt that I needed to keep the form, but be loyal to the principles. Um, that define my life, and then let everything else flow. And you see, this is where, as I was saying before, this is where intuition comes from. Because intuition is being able to embrace other realities as your own. If you're going to be intuitive about people, you have to have a heart-to-heart connection with them. You have to break down the barriers of your own limitations and feel their actual vibration. Vibration is what we're talking about here. Just to be able to sense their vibrations. Swamiji made an interesting comment once. He said much of uh, misunderstandings between people is when the vibrations don't match. And uh, I, it, as, a, as a practice, I, uh, when you're trying to understand someone or get along with them or to help them, if you can try to sense what their vibration is or their rhythm is another way Swami put it, even the rhythm of their speech, and just try to feel, um, feel that rhythm within yourself. Be like water. You become shaped like them. Okay, I'm in India. I don't adopt an Indian accent. But I have gradually trained myself not to think that they're mispronouncing the words. <laughs> you know, we, both, we all speak English, but Indian English and American English are quite, quite different. I heard someone reading aloud from several pages that I was quite familiar with. And that was the, it really became vivid to me how many words are just simply pronounced differently. So when you pronounce a word differently, it's like a different language. But the meaning is there. You just relax into it and you can, you can hear it. But, you, but however, you know, to go to building the chakras here, if you have only water, and you don't have enough earth in you, you're really good at just flowing with whatever's around you. But there's no, there's no um, anchor point for your own reality. There's no clear-cut path for that river to flow. And if you have a divine intention in your life, if you're trying to hold your reality toward a spiritual goal, then you have to have loyalty. You have to you know, loyalty is the first law of God. You can't go to every ashram in India and just become that uh, ashramite. Uh, you may become that ashramite in the sense of welcoming the experience, but you can't just, oh, today I'm a Buddhist and tomorrow I'm this, and this is my guru today, and that's my guru tomorrow, and I take this initiation today and that technique yesterday. There has to be some clear um, sense of self in it also. So, again, you look at yourself. Do I need to be more um, 
And do I need to have more strength in my first principles, more reliable commitment, or do I just go where everything, uh, you know, everything wants me to go? There's an expression in America, at least, called wishy-washy, which means that you just don't have any grounding. And so you want to be flowing, that's the positive side, but you don't want to become wishy-washy because then uh, a whole lifetime passes and you've gotten nowhere. You've just run, run in circles like this. Now the other aspect that the water chakra gives us is it gives us creative stimulation. It gives us variety in our lives. And when we have that creative understanding grounded in true principles, which is my creativity comes from the ever-new joy of God. And my enjoyment of life is the ever-new joy of God. It, at any moment, inwardly, the, the wellspring of divine understanding is always renewing itself. But if that creativity is not properly directed, it becomes restless and it often becomes sensual. And this is where the second chakra's a relationship to sexuality comes in that we're just always looking outward for something new and exciting to experience because we haven't grounded ourselves in true principles and then learned to use that creativity inwardly and upwardly directed to be uh, the receptacle for artistic and intellectual creativity and uh, the receptacle for spiritual creativity. So we seek it in life experiences. And again, we we can't settle down. We can't settle down in our relationships, our profession, our studies. We're always looking for something else. That's the restless side of water. That's the restless side of the river. That instead of flowing straight to the sea, it's just sort of a little eddy out this way and a little whirlpool out this way and a little puddle over here. And it's always kind of seeking something other and this is where earth and water work together. Okay? Now, the third um, chakra that we're dealing with is the fire chakra. And last week I was talking about how, you know, this is stages of manifestation. And the fire chakra is the third chakra right here. It's the solar plexus. And this is, a, this is the critical chakra in terms of our spiritual life. This is A. They're all important, but... This is a fulcrum point. Excuse me a moment. Okay, I thought I was going to do an international sneeze here, but I guess I'm not. All right. Um, fire is, oh, is essential. In, in the spiritual path, as uh, Master describes it, as Paramahansa Yogananda describes it, he, he often talks about the concept of Satan, um, which is the English version of the word Maya. They have different nuances, but Satan is a very powerful and important force. So is Maya. Um, the point being that there is a counter force to the upward moving energy. And the reason Master talks about it often, and the reason Maya is such a fabulous concept in Sanatana Dharma, is because what it's telling you is that yes, we are a perfect manifestation of divinity. Our true nature is bliss. We are one with God. We become ignorantly identified with limitation. Um, but our true nature is never changed. And so 
the, the mind grabs that thought and says, well, I'm one with divinity. And it's a very pleasant thought, too, because now that I'm one with God, everything that I want is already mine. It's already here. I don't have to do anything about it. it I just have to affirm it. I just have to declare it. I just have to put a little picture on my mirror that says, you are God, to have a picture of Vishnu or um, Krishna or something like right there, so that when I look in the mirror, that's what I see, and then that's, and I walk around and that's me. But what Master makes very clear, and all, all true teachers make very clear, is that there's also a force that's pulling us away from that reality. How did we get here in the first place? How did we become identified with the ephemeral instead of the eternal, it's because there is an attractive force. Maya is such a, a gorgeous way of putting it. It's just this uh, uh, this magical, magician sort of force, the, the delusive force that gives us a very wrong impression of things. Satan is more this sort of evil force that's just taking us away and cackling over its victories. But whatever you call it, it's happening. It's right here in the chakras. It's this, it's the kundalini energy coiled at the base of the spine that's always pulling our energy down toward it. My, these are such complicated concepts in a certain way. But simplifying it, we all feel it. However you want to metaphysicalize it and explain it, whatever vocabulary you like, whatever images you like, we all experience it. You go to bed at night, you say, tomorrow, 4 a.m., I'm going to get up, I'm going to do two hours of sadhana before I have breakfast and go out for my exercise. 4 a.m. strikes, and the first thing you think of is, oh, not today. I'm a little tired today. You know, I was, I had a big yesterday. I think maybe just another half hour of sleep, or maybe an hour of sleep, you know, like this. And you sort of decide you're going to be really generous and kind, oh, there's person who needs some money, I'll give him five dollars, and you open your wallet, maybe one is enough. There's just always this counterweight. To whatever the aspiration is, there's always a counterweight. Now, without going into that as a huge, gigantic issue in itself, I'm just going to brush right over it and say, from a practical point of view, therefore, we can't just vaguely decide, oh, I think I'm going to be a better person. There has to be a will applied to it. From the point of view of karma, the way you think of it is like this, is if you think of karma as a magnetic force, and karma is the accumulated result of our own actions and decisions, I talked about this a little bit in the first session of this series, and it just has a certain measurable magnetic force. We can easily uh, change that, but in order to change it, we have to have a force pulling in the opposite direction. Um, the, a very good example of that is just driving in the car. The American freeways are extremely um, efficient. Well, actually, I've I had many experiences in India driving. This strange thing where the roads are um, blocked off for long periods of time, so you can't make a U-turn. So if you miss your turn, often you have to go many kilometers before you get the chance to turn around again. I, on several occasions, was trapped in situations like that, once trying to get to the airport to catch a plane, you know, when we're going in miles and miles in very heavy traffic before we could turn around and get back to where we needed to go. Then when all the heavy traffic going this way, 
we knew exactly where we wanted to be. We could see on the other side of the road exactly where we wanted to be, but having missed the turn, we had this long force that we had to carry out. We had, there was no other way. There was no way to get there. Or if on the American freeway you're going 90 miles an hour in the far left lane, just zipping down in the carpool lane with no traffic anywhere, and you see your exit go by, you, you know where you want to be, but there's too much momentum in this direction, and it takes willpower, skill, and that willpower is just the form of the gasoline burning in the engine, if it's just the engine, but still you have to go through a lot of force in order to find a new exit, turn around, come back, get where you're going. It takes fire. And when we've decided in our lives, I want to change myself, I want to accomplish something, I want to, I want to make a difference in my own incarnation or in the incarnation of others, it takes more than just a kind of watery idea that, oh, I think I'll do that. It takes more even than a commitment to that. It takes fire. Force has to be transformed into a new reality. The creativity of water requires fire to make it happen. Creativity, or the transformation of your own consciousness, it's, it's taking reality and creating a new one or changing a reality, making a relationship different, making your own inner attitudes different, um, creating out of two separate people a family, whatever it might be. You have certain material forms like this, and it has that particular shape. And in order to change what it is, you have to apply energy to it, whether that energy is thought and concentration or literally fire or the twisting of it, whatever it is, energy has to be applied. That's what fire represents. And sufficient energy can change everything. In our temple here in Palo Alto every week, we do the Festival of Light, which is this beautiful ritual that Swami Kriyananda created. And as part of it, we have a, a tall candle with the, with the flame burning on the top. Gaze upon this light as a symbol of God's love, we say. And our temple is a fairly good size with a, a very high ceiling. And the flame is like this big. But I've often thought, just standing there, um, you know, as the pujari in that ceremony, holding that flame, gazing at that light, thinking, this is a very small thing to be a symbol of God's love. But that's what the, um, the phrase is, gaze upon this light as a symbol of God's love. But I imagine, and this actually happened to Ananda way back in 1971 in the rural community where I used to live. There was a temple there that had been built with a great deal of energy. And a lot of energy had to be applied to the fixity of the earth in order to create that temple. And then somebody finished their meditation and walked out and left a candle burning. Just a candle. Just how big is a candle flame? Like that. Candle flame burned down, ignited the altar, took the whole building to ash. Just took the whole thing down to the ground, to nothing. Disappeared it and made it an unusable mass of ashes and charred wood. And I'm standing in our temple, which is considerably more solid than that one, but if that tiny little flame was allowed you know, to have its way, it could change, completely change, the reality of that building, that huge building. Because that's the power of God's love. It can transform. But the fire force has to be there. 
And so we can look at our lives and realize that we have all the loyalty to the right causes, we have all the creativity in the world, and we're full of good ideas, but we lack the dynamic willpower required to make them happen. And this is, this is an essential quality because neither your loyalty to good causes nor your creativity will ever find expression. And this can be your desire to transform yourself. It will never find expression until your willpower gets engaged. In one of the earlier classes, I mentioned that each of the five chakras represent the five Pandavas, and Arjuna is the third chakra. And the entire success of the war of Kurukshetra, the battle of Kurukshetra, depended on Arjuna. Because unless we as individuals put our willpower behind our ideals and put that energy forth with real determination, then nothing will ever happen. We'll just remain exactly the same. There will be no energy to transform us. And even, you know, oh dear God, help me, he can't help us unless we have also put our will behind it. Swamiji tells a story from Master and one of his disciples. And Master was urging on that disciple that he um, change himself in certain ways. And so the disciple said, oh, Master, how can I change without your blessing? And when Swamiji uh, would talk about this story, he said when he would tell this story in India, when he would say, oh, Master, how can I change without your blessing? The Indian audience assumed that was the story. That was the whole point. Because every nation has its characteristics and the, the, the passivity, and I'm not going to say it's by any means the, the Indian character anymore, but a certain passivity has been characteristic of the Indian character, the opposite of the Americans. Americans are always going to war. And that, of course, is the downside of it. But heavens, we have willpower. You know, we have, uh, I'll digress for just a moment before I finish this story, but you know, Americans have no history. It's very interesting to me the first time I left America and went first to Europe and then later to India. America, because I was in Florence, and Florentines had a certain pride because Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci and, you know, great souls had been also been Florentines. And so a Florentine in 1995 could sort of walk around being proud because of Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo, whose works were all over the city. And as an American, I just thought, what does that have to do with you? And then I went to India, and where the culture is even more ancient, and there's even more signs of greatness, and there's certain pride to be part of this great history. And just by contrast, I realized America is only 200 years old, which is not very old in any case, um, a few hundred years old, or more than that. But, um, And when we arrived in America, there was a, a, a much more sophisticated indigenous culture than we realized, but it was immediately wiped out. We never embraced it as our own. We had nothing. We had a wild country. We had no history. And everything that... Americans can be proud of was created by the fire of our own will, transforming wilderness into a wealthy and very successful civilization. I'm not trying to be pro-America. I'm using it only as an example of how um, we, there's different ways to respond to the same circumstances. The positive of that, you see, is that Americans always look to the future. 
And Americans always have this idea, we can make it different, we can create it ourselves. So back to this disciple, the disciple says, oh, Master, I would change, how would I change, but I can't without your grace. And, and Swami says the Indian audiences always go, ah, like that, oh, what a beautiful answer. But then what Master actually said back to the disciple is, my grace is there, God's grace is there. He says, it's your own grace that's lacking. So you see, this is loyalty, the willingness to, but, but there has to also be fire. And part of what um, Yogananda's message to the world, this avatar, this particular avatar, self-realization, he called it, with Kriya Yoga as the practice. And, you know, Master was born in India. He, he was raised up in the Hindu faith, and his autobiography is, is a lot of, you know, statues of Kali and all these different things. But when he came to America, and when he went back to India also, but when he came to America, his work was defined in America. He did not bring that. He did not bring um, all of that ritual. He could have. He could have easily done it. Many other Indian teachers brought a great deal of that ritual with him, but he didn't. And it's not that he didn't respect it, or even when he was younger he participated in it. But he wanted to slice the spiritual path down to its absolute essence. And its absolute essence is self-realization. Self meaning who you are inside, you know, what your actual consciousness is. And Kriya Yoga, which is a specific practice that you apply with your fiery will that transforms you into a divine reality. And it, 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 it's really very simple. And that's, he wanted it to be simple. He knew what he was doing. He made it very simple. That's, that's what's required. But without the application of willpower, nothing happens. There's no ritual that you can do. There's no priest that you can pay. There's no institution that you can become part of. There's no place that you can visit. It has to be fiery willpower. And look at your life and ask yourself, you know, what is it that I need? And next week I'll talk a little more you know, and for a lot of people, the third chakra is lacking. Or the third chakra is not sufficiently balanced by the creative flexibility of water. I have willpower, but this is what I do. But that's not really appropriate for you to be doing that. That's not really helping you anymore. You have to not be so fixed in the form. You have to apply a little water here. You know, when people come to Ananda in, to live in our ashrams or live in our communities, you know, it's oftentimes we have to, I, I sometimes use the phrase, you know, consider going with the program a little more. And just sort of see, what is it that Swamiji really asked us to do? Um, even Yogananda's work comes through different of his disciples and has a slightly different flavor. YSS, SRF, the, or, uh, the organization that Master founded and has been continued through first through Diamata and through other of Master's disciples, it's the same teaching, but it has its own flavor. And uh, Master's teachings through Swami Kriyananda, it has its own flavor. We're, we're very keen on establishing communities. We're very keen on um, sharing these teachings creatively. We, we feel a great responsibility um, to the establishment of Master's work. And Swamiji was enormously creative. 
you know, with great loyalty to Master's ideals, but enormously creative and had tremendous willpower in the expression of that. And so Krishna's soldiers have to look like Krishna. We have to, if this is our path, if this is our way, and by no means am I assuming that, I'm using it merely as an example, we have to emulate that. And we have to use our willpower to put us into that. I, I'm very enthusiastic by nature, and I also make myself enthusiastic. It's part of the way that I serve. And we have a Christmas celebration. Jesus is one of our masters. And, of course, living in America, um, the holidays associated with the life of Jesus are very important. And so at Christmas time, um, our Ananda Palo Alto Temple, we have a, a wonderful Christmas. We have a lot of events starting from the beginning of the month, musical events, social events, spiritual events, and pageants and costumes, and it's, it's a lot of stuff. I particularly, my creativity flows toward theater and uh, celebration and liturgy. It, it's my nature, I say that. But it's also my responsibility. And I use my willpower to fulfill my responsibilities because, above all, I feel loyal to what Swamiji has asked us to do. And I laughed because uh, someone said once, Oh, Asha is so into Christmas. And I am, but I also think it was a deliberate decision on my part. I, it's, it's loyalty to my first principles, creatively applied with a lot of willpower. And that's, that's how we have to think of our lives. Loyalty to first principles, creatively applied, but then with a lot of willpower. Because, and this is where I started, also with this little section on the fire, there's a force pulling us in the opposite direction. If you want to make something out of nothing, you have to apply fire to it. You have to transform the reality of it. When we started our school here in this colony, which is, our school is now 20 years old, when we first started it, I, I, I mean, I brought to it the history of having been 16 years at Ananda Village. And my husband is an entrepreneur by nature, too. He started several successful enterprises even before he, he became part of the ashram. And since he's been in the ashram, he just, that's just his nature. But there was a small group of us sitting together in the living room of our house in the, our apartment of the community. And we had a few parents of children who they might put their kids into our school. Our school didn't exist, of course, so we wouldn't have a school unless they put their children into it. I and mean, it was a sort of a dicey moment. And uh, someone sort of asked something about, you know, how is this going to happen? And I, I laughed, and I sort of pointed to a blank spot on the carpet. I said, well, you're looking at the blank spot on the carpet, and you're just seeing a blank spot. I said, David and I were looking at that blank spot and we're seeing a school. Because enough fiery willpower applied creatively to anything. And you can take that energy and you can mold it into something completely new. And having done it repeatedly already in our lives, although certainly the scale that we've experienced here has been more dynamic, wonderfully dynamic, but it's just learning to use that willpower. And if it's just your own fault, your inclination to eat too much ice cream or to be too impatient with your spouse, you know, or to yell at your children, it's just a form that started. You have to have a creative idea about how to shift it 
You have to imagine an alternative. That's the creativity. It could be different than this. It doesn't have to stay like this. And then you apply your willpower to it. And consistent, the patient application of willpower. Absolutely everything in life is the patient application of willpower. Whatever the task is. I did some carpentry work in this house once. I'm terrible as a carpenter. I just I don't have I don't have any ability. But I took on this project and I insisted on finishing it, even though David kept kindly and sweetly suggesting I should hire someone competent. But I was just determined. And in the end it actually taught me a profound and important lesson. I knew nothing about what I was doing, but I could ask people and they would tell me. And then I just patiently applied willpower to it. If I made a mistake, I discovered you can just take it apart, fix it, and start over. The patient application of willpower. This is the fire chakra. And, you know, you can be flashy and enormous in that, but the most important thing is that you be unrelenting about it. The patient application of willpower. When that fire is in place, you see, then anything is possible. Um, Swamiji used to often say that in Master 2. Even if somebody's energy is misdirected, he said, if they have energy, at least you can work with them. Now, if the fire chakra is just um, burning everything up, then it becomes a, a ruthless kind of willpower. That's what you see in terrible leaders like Stalin or Hitler or the greedy politicians who, who take billions of dollars. It's just... It's not grounded in true principles. It's not creatively or intuitively responding to the reality of the situation. It's just fire burning. And what we also have to have is that we have to realize, you see, fire also represents the power. Where does our power come from? What is our real power? Is our power power over other people? Or is it power over ourselves, self-mastery? The power of Arjuna, fiery self-control that allows me to look at every situation, to attune to it spiritually, to harmonize it with my true principles, and then to move forward. That's where my power comes from. My attunement to God and my ability then to use that attunement in the way that He guides me. You see, that's the dynamic true power of the third chakra. Now, instead of going through all of them, I've gone through three but those were vitally important um, foundations. So next week I'll finish the chakras and then we'll go back with the affirmations and the visualizations that can allow you to begin to transform each one of these. So, God bless you.